Hello, and welcome back to the Future in Review podcast. I'm Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future in Review. And for those of you who have never heard of Future in Review before, we run the annual FIRE conference, which The Economist has called the best technology conference in the world. Now, the other arm of our business, Strategic News Service, provides its subscribers with the most accurate source of information about the future of technology and the global economy. So if you enjoy these podcast updates, we hope that you will sign up for a free trial of the Strategic News Service Global Report using the link uh, in the description below this podcast. Um, so today I am going to be talking to Mark Anderson, uh, our CEO, about Elon Musk and Twitter, and specifically what we know about Elon based on the six or seven times I think that he has been to fire and spoken at fire and the way that he thinks about running his businesses and how that might apply to his management and and strategy at Twitter moving forward. So Mark, you first met Elon. Tell us about when when you first met Elon. What was the context there? I met Elon <clears throat> two or three different paths were crossing. Um, one was his brother, Kimball, I believe, was originally a subscriber to SNS, our newsletter. I believe Kimball introduced Elon to SNS. <clears throat> and then separately from that, I was an advisory board member to more David Dow Ventures. And Nancy Schoendorf was a pretty famous venture capitalist, I believe, suggested to Elon separately that he would want to talk to me about starting up SpaceX. Um, and and um, so then I'd been in touch with him by email through his brother, but not in person. And so when Nancy suggested he come up here, he suddenly sent me a note saying, can I fly up and see you? And I said, yeah, of course. So he did. He flew up to this island where I live and, and we talked about SpaceX. So that's the first time I ever met him personally. And what when you first met him, like what was your what was your what struck you about him then? What did, well, I, what did you take away from him? Who, who did you think that he was as a person after your first conversation? Um, the impression I had then hasn't changed really since that time. So um, he was already quite well known for PayPal and um, his prior, there are other names for the prior companies he had in that arena. Um, Zip2, going all the way back to uh, newspaper insertions and stuff. So I, had, I knew a lot about his background, uh, but when he came up, um, I was struck by this, the same thing I would answer today. And that was he had carefully figured out, I would say from an engineering perspective, how to benefit humanity. And he knew what he had to do. Turned out he was right, I think. And um, he wasn't quite sure about the timing of it. And so um, as an example, <clears throat> you know, there's Tesla, there's the electric car idea, mm -hmm. which, which some people forget that, the point wasn't to make money. The point was to drive existing car makers into that market. And they would never have gone, I don't think, if Tesla hadn't gone. So that was one idea. It was force the world's car makers to make electric cars. That was important to him uh, to save the planet. Okay. And then the next piece was solar energy. So where is the energy going to come from? Obviously, solar. You know, we have a nuclear power plant. It's called the sun. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, but he was very worried at that time. And I think properly so that the technology wasn't there yet. He pictured extremely large, you know, when you're thinking like Elon does, large is really big. 
Yeah. Extremely large farms of solar panels, extremely large panels. And I think that he didn't feel that at that time, the, the tech, uh, maybe partly the, I don't think the Chinese had destroyed the market yet, but he might've seen that coming. But anyway, you know, the technology wasn't ripe for doing that yet. And so it kind of put that on the back burner and that left um, making humanity an interplanetary species. So he really wanted to start SpaceX. And the, I think the main point of his visit then was to talk about that and figure out the timing was okay for that. So we talked about that. And so I, I was left with the feeling that here was a guy who was very smart. He knew what had to be done. None of this stuff was about money. It was only about the, the big, big, you know, planetary level strategic steps that had to be taken to save humanity. And how do you think that uh, that that lens, that big planetary level step to save humanity, does or does not apply to, or may or may not apply to Elon's acquisition of Twitter? Um, I don't know the answer to that. But if you look at, you know, he takes a lot of arrows because he's famous. He takes a lot of arrows because he's made a lot of money. Um, he's made some pretty good jokes uh, in public about um, you, you couldn't try anything that would be less likely to make money than what he did. You know, starting your own car company to compete or, you know, taking over Tesla to compete with General Motors, guaranteed fail. You know, starting your own energy company, you know, for solar, that's not going to work. And then starting your own, you know, compete with Boeing and Lockheed, forget it. And not in NASA, no. Nah. So, so he, although he jokes about it, he's right. No, no, no sane person would have done that if they were driven by money. And the, I think the fact that he's become, if he is now this week, the wealthiest person on the planet is because of the size and scale of his vision, not because he wanted to get rich. So people kind of miss that. Um, and I would look at any acquisition, whether it's like Twitter or normally he doesn't acquire, he, he builds, but uh, any company that he's created uh, from the same lens. So um, uh, really, you know, when we were, uh, before we get to Twitter, I'd like to kind of do an intervening step. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like Elon. I think he's a great guy. He, he has expressed his own dream as he liked, I think he said, I'd like to be the best engineer on the planet. He, he is, you know, he is. So I believe that's how he, that's the lens he uses. It's the strategy of saving humanity and the, from an engineer's view, how do you do that? What, what can you build? But if you imagine his life, now I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of his life uh, at all, but I, I remember a time, and, and this has been publicized, so I'm not speaking out of school here, but when, um, he was uh, at fire one year, and again, this has been made public, so, you know, it's all right. But I was thinking, gee, this guy's riding high. You know, he's got Tesla going. SpaceX is, you know, up and running now, kind of. And, you know, wow, wow, you know, got a lot of money. And I saw him behind the uh, the stage before he went up to do an interview one of those years at fire. And I said, how's it going, you know? And he goes, horrible year. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, just got divorced. I got a bunch of kids I'm trying to raise while I'm doing all this. I'm paying Tesla payroll out of my own checkbook. I'm down to my last whatever, you know, 
few million or something. Uh, but that that was a big big dive for him. He was running out of money. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to ever, you know, my rocket blew up again. I don't know how I'm going to pay for all that. If we keep going with SpaceX, it's, you know, pretty tough. Who knew? Time Magazine sure didn't know. I mean, the people outside didn't know. So um, when I look at his life, I, I probably have a little more empathy. And I try to imagine if, imagine if all you did was run Tesla, right? That's all. Mm-hmm. Hard work. You know, you're going to beat China and you're going to beat GM. Good luck. How hard could that be? And then, you know, in Germany too, you know, and then while you're at it, oh, Solar City, you know, and you get a lot of arrows for doing what he did that, with that. And then, and then, oh, by, you know, SpaceX. If he'd, if he'd stopped there, I don't understand where the hours come from. He has great managers, no question about it. I mean, SpaceX is run by a great woman. But, you know, he's still running these things and he's still making technical decisions, I think. So uh, you may remember in one of the interviews I did with him at FIRE, um, we had him, uh, which we've never done before. We broke our time limit. We're very religious about that generally. And we went for, I think, an hour and a half. And right at the end, I said, look, here's my question. You're a CTO of SpaceX and your CEO. And two guys who spent their whole lives as engineers in aerospace come to you and they're in an argument over a valve, right? And, you know, one guy says, it's this valve. The other guy says, no, no, it's this valve. And you have to decide. How do you decide that? Why would you know? Dead air. No response. Refuse to answer my question. It's the only time he ever did that. And finally, it got embarrassing because there's too much dead air. And I said, okay, I'll answer. That's how smart you are. And that's why he didn't answer. Because that's the real answer. And so, you know, we've got a guy in Elon who has the right motivation, in my opinion. He's got the right level of intelligence, in my opinion. And, and he's willing to take all kinds of arrows and all kinds of crap to get the thing done. And pretty much doesn't take any crap. He just does the work. So he's always in controversy for something he said yesterday. And almost always, I'm just out of politics here because I don't like to do that. But almost always, whatever he says is either true or intended to be true. So I don't see him messing around, even in politics, with things that he doesn't feel just like, well, here's the simple answer from an engineer's perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, stop fighting, whatever the, whatever it is. So, you know, now I think with that, maybe under our belts in this conversation, we can jump forward and talk about a little bit about Twitter. I don't think he, he purchased Twitter because he wants to be more famous. I don't think he bought it for the money. Just the opposite, probably, probably take a loss for a while. And then he'll probably make money, which he usually does. But my guess would be that he was deeply offended by something that he thought would affect humanity. So if he believes that free speech is important for humanity, then that would have been his motivation. And he certainly has said it often enough. I tend to take him at face value with things. So my guess is he's telling the truth and that he really has a personal motivation about free speech being critically important for humanity to go forward. Hard to argue with that idea. You know, it's, it's, it's embarrassing the number of hate people, hate speech people who are on there every day, including today, but they're on, every, they're on everything, they're everywhere. So 
I don't think he bought it to be a policeman. I think he bought it to preserve free speech. One of, one of the critiques, one of the critiques that I've seen generally of, uh, you know, there's this tendency to say, um, all right, you know, if you're not going to, I mean, there's a whole debate that we could get into over platforms and whether platforms should guarantee free speech. Yes. They're a private entity. So technically yes. there's not yes. actually, a, a, you know, there's no actual legal requirement to allow everyone to be on there, regardless of how much hate they're spewing. Oh. However, uh, one of my, a good friend of mine, Monica Guzman, who's very smart and has spent a lot of time on political polarity, um, said at an event that I organized recently, you know, I think there's a problem with forcing people who ha feel and experience a lot of hate off of a platform, because what happens is they just go somewhere else. They don't go away. It's just that that becomes less visible as an element of society. And um, it also Mr. Trump did that. He went to somewhere somewhere else. Not that it's been successful, but uh, yeah. And 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 I think that you know there and it also like reinforces those positions, right? So it reinforces that feeling among a specific part of society that they are being censored. It it kind of reinforces that sense of insularity. It makes things feel you know it, it kind of you know in some ways actually legitimizes their their. Yes. Concern. Yep. Um, and could be argued to create more polarity throughout society. And it strikes me that, um, you know, I don't love everything that Elon says, but um, it does strike me that I think he's made some rather stupid comments um, that are not, the rest of us. <laughs> are not are not representative of what you no. would want to have the CEO of a, of a you know, social major social platforms say however i do think that that to your point about what is his ultimate motivation that would be an interesting you know that would make sense and as far as like we look a lot at patterns right what are the patterns of his previous companies that motivation would actually make sense to me as his real motivation for acquiring twitter right. and i'll add one other con piece of important context which is elon has so you know i studied information worker for several years uh, we did a lot of research into what was ongoing on platforms, specifically Twitter. Throughout all of, sorry, my camera's doing some funny things here, but throughout all of that research, one of the things, you know, we looked at information campaign, information warfare campaigns all across Twitter. Uh, one of the things that kept coming up was that Elon Musk, Tesla, and specifically Elon, but Elon and Tesla were the product of even when we were searching for other things, they were always one of the top kind of targets of information warfare, which I found really interesting. So there was a, a lot of ongoing uh, attacks and critiques of Elon that were instigated by <clears throat> fake accounts, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, one of the games you play on social networks, if you're Russia or whatever, is that you, you go for that most popular person in the world in terms of followers and you, you know, you bring those, some fraction of those people back to your other websites. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. But also it's, it's a, it's a, like a little bit of a, you know, ecosystem for what happens is that things start trending. You cause something to start trending 
and then the U.S. media picks it up, right? Because that's right. kind of, They're and watching. then that, and then that's a very actually, it's a really effective mechanism for amplifying whatever the message is that you want to get out there. That's right. Same thing. So anyhow, so, I think that's we're probably agreeing here. So, um, you know, imagine that you have that motivation that's relatively pure, and then you buy anything. New York Times or well, not New York, not a newspaper because they actually have editors. But you buy, you know, any website that's just you know, double dishing Google, you know, or whatever, it's just, just double dishing stuff out, and and it's trying to be a carrier without having any responsibility. No matter what you bought, you're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. He's made a few jokes about like, you know, this will be hell. You know, I'm not looking forward to this. Yeah. So um, it'll be interesting to see. He's he's uh, in the middle right now of rearranging the chairs, you know, on the on the, the deck of the cruise line. So we'll, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether you know what kind of changes he really does make um everyone tries to you know promote i think they, they project their own feelings onto him a lot um my guess is he'll probably surprise people a bit and be much more sane than they had been saying that he'll be uh, we'll see but i wouldn't want to have that job at all of and i don't think he wants it of being the you know the dictator of twitter you know, the chief twit where you know you you need to then make decisions on these issues of hate speech. What is hate speech? Whose is it? How far can it go before it's hate speech? Wh- whose is okay? Whose is not okay? What is, what do you do? Do you, you throw them out or you know, all that stuff? Um, on a, on a minute by minute basis worldwide, I just would hate that job. So I don't think Evan Williams particularly liked it. I don't think anyone liked it. I don't think Jack Dorsey liked it. Yeah. I think Jack loves Elon, right? I don't know who knows. But so, you know, it's it's not a good job. It's not a it's not an obvious, there's no obvious win there. There's an obvious need, but not an obvious win. It's a tough job. One of the, you know, one of the things that he announced immediately was that he was gonna have people start, he was gonna start charging for the blue check mark, right? And that's been you know, off criticized because people are like, well, what about, you know, people in, you know, government dissidents in foreign countries? What about people who can't afford the black, the blue check mark, but they're important people? And it's an interesting, it's an interesting question because, um, A, I think it represents a very pragmatic approach to like, how do you make this company work, right? Twitter for a very long time has not been working as a business and that's been its biggest struggle. Um, But it also highlights this, this interesting kind of tension, which is Twitter's value is in information sharing, right? I think a lot of people use it because you get personal value, social value, but not its revenue value. Exactly. So, I think he's trying to escape the trap that Facebook everybody else is in, which is when you let advertising drive your, um, you know, drive your revenue model, then you are owned by them. Yeah. And they are not reliable if you care about free speech. So um, it's a, it's a trap. And I, you know, when he said that thing, which he did about like power to the people, he said, and people were mocking him for saying that because he wanted to charge them. But guess what? By asking people who are the users to pay, he's actually trying to give the power back to them instead of to General Motors or to somebody else. And so if he succeeds in that, even though they'll, you know, they'll be kicking and screaming, maybe, um, 
they will have the power. And that would be a success for him and them. It'll change things. But it's not saying if you don't pay, you don't get on. Right. Just saying, That's a, there's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. You still can come on. But if you want to have a blue check mark, it's going to be, it turns out, eight bucks is what the number is today, but we'll see. So, you know, he really is literally is trying to give the power of the purse to the people who he'd rather have have it. So, in the context of looking forward, based on what Elon has done with SpaceX and Tesla, any predictions about what we can expect from his Twitter strategy? Well, step one is already happening. So um, he's going to lay a lot of people off. Um, when you listen to his, I've seen him interviewed by, I think it was the head of the Air Force on who do you hire? How do you measure performance? How do you incent people? What are you, you, know, what are you looking for? Um, he's been very controversial in requiring people to actually go to work. Shock, the manufacturer. Um, so, uh, I think he's pretty much take no prisoners on the issue of who should work there and what's, what should they be doing? Um, so it, it's not a surprise to me or won't be a surprise to me if many people are laid off or leave because they feel like they're going to be laid off. And then, um, once that is done with mostly, you'll have a different type of person working there probably than you have today. Not for everybody, but. You know, maybe for a third of the people there, and um, or half even. So you know, he'll be looking for people who are very high performance, very smart, work hard, show up for work, don't give any crap about whatever. You know, do the job, and that's kind of an engineer's manager's view of how things should be run. He'll be bringing that to a media company. Yeah, that'll be interesting. It won't be like working at the New York Times or the Washington Post. But it will be, I think, extremely effective. So from a revenue perspective, um, you'll probably have half or two-thirds of the bodies in the building creating more than was created before, be my guess. Um, and it'll be so be more efficient. Um, it'll probably be more focused. Now, on what? So they're going to have to come to agreement about what he agrees to. He owns it now. It's going to be private, not public. And so, you know, what, what does Elon see? Does he see... Is, is free speech the top thing? And then if that is the top thing, is there any way to break through that for moderation? He says he's going to have a moderation group of some kind. But it'll be pretty Catholic, I think. It'll be pretty straightforward. Here are the rules. As few gray areas as possible. And mm -hmm. then just get on with it. You know, it's an engineering problem. I believe that's how he'll run it. It strikes me that, you know, so I have had friends who worked you know, inside of, for Twitter, inside of Twitter. And one of the things that was very, was super interesting to hear from them was how intensely complicated and, and collaborative almost, but in a way that slowed things down, their culture was, right? So I, you know, there were all, of, you had to get a buy-in from all of these different people in different departments and organizations, which made it really hard, I think, to, to try anything new. Yeah, it was very, very closely controlled, and what that has meant is that for the last ten years, we've seen very few innovations at Twitter, right? Like, yeah, pretty yeah. much no change to the format, pretty much no change to what like any right. of that stuff. And so, I think one thing that we can definitely expect moving forward, knowing what we know about Elon, is that that system is going away, right? That culture is going away, so and in its place will be this 
try something new. Maybe it breaks things, but you you do it anyways. And then you move to the next thing. You try the new thing and then move to the next thing. I mean, that's what he's famous for for doing with Tesla, especially and with SpaceX, right? He and for listening. Things. Yeah, build things. Don't don't be afraid to try things and and do what find out what people are objecting to and fix it. Did a lot of that with Tesla. And then, you know, and and then uh, find out what they want. So, um, you know, whether it was range anxiety or being a problem, for t- whatever the problem is, find it out and fix it. Mm-hmm. It's very good at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's one more thing here that we haven't mentioned, and it's, it may be the, the root cause of all this stuff, which is the pricing based on bots. And um, I don't think he was playing games. All, all the Wall Street guys were always playing games to get a bit. No, no, no. Twitter has for a very long time had a huge problem with bots and internal numbers. And uh, it's been a kind of like a secret underground, not so secret thing. I I think that was absolutely right on. I think he went through the acquisition process and learned, oh, the actual number of users is much lower than That's, they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't want to admit it. Yeah. You had to do a lot of trouble with your advertisers when you find they find out that they're paying for bots instead of for people. Yep. Bots don't buy shoes, you know, so uh, it's a problem. And I, I think it's a problem for all social networks, but Twitter's, you know, there you are. And years ago, I told the economy, I was on stage that I, I figure it's probably between 25 and 40%. And they were like, what? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if this came out to be between 25 and 40%, I go, yeah, that would make sense. Yep. That, that may force then all the other social networks to get real. Because their shareholders and their advertisers will be saying, wait a minute, Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you know, what what the heck here? You know, what what are we paying for? So I think that'll happen. Yeah. It'll well, be it's interesting. It's, it, you know, one of the other people that we had on stage at Fire was Michael Dell as he was taking his company from public to private, right? Back to private. And the fact that this is now a private company actually, I think, makes it much more interesting because it removes a lot of the pressures of the of the public market to in to to that cause co- those companies to do things like inflate their user numbers or not, and so it actually gives uh, him a lot more leeway to take a step back, figure out what's not working, and get real about how to fix it. Yes. Than than that company has previously had. That's right. That's right. And um, it's kind of fun. So here are our fire friends, Michael. Elon, you know, apparently Elon called Michael up um, to ask that very question not long ago. Like, yeah. if, you know, take this private. What did you go through? Is it worth yeah. it? All that kind of stuff. So um, I'm sure he got good advice from Michael. And we, maybe, yeah, we, could, maybe, we could have, maybe we could have them both back at fire next year. Yeah, that'd be fun. To talk about that process. That would be a inter- very interesting conversation. Have a little panel. Yeah. So anyhow, um, he did call him, and I, I think that's, you know, he got good advice from Michael. What, what was reported was that Michael said something like, yeah, it's hard, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what he was saying to us. It was what he was saying to Back us. then. Yeah, he even said a little more. We got to talk to him about, he, 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 because of his business, right, mm-hmm. um, we were talking about Lenovo and China and ripping off IP and, you know, subsidizing products. And, and um, I, I asked Michael about, how you compete with a company that is state supported and is showing 3% uh, operating margins when you have to show at least, you know, six to 8% for wall street to give you any room. He said, yep. (laughs) That's one of the reasons we went private. Yep. I did. Yeah. 
Well, I think we've covered it. And I, I, I do too. Thank I you. I hope that Elon has success with Twitter. I think he will, you know, and maybe people ought to just calm down, be quiet for a couple of days, let him figure it out, and then see, judge give, him once give again. Him, give him a, t- a week or two to, to wrap his head around it. That's it. Well, it shouldn't take that long. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mark. Um, we are also having, I should mention, our monthly SNS member happy hour is uh, Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. If you are not already a member, you should join uh, and you will get an invite to that happy hour. We'll be talking more about this uh, specific topic and um, it's off the record. So uh, it'll be even more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Hope to see you all there. Thanks, Spirit. <laughs>